And we're live. Well, we're not live, but we're, we're, we're being recorded now. Hi, welcome to the Railroad Study Show with Aaron Buckley and Gideon Commands. I'm your host, Gideon Commands. And I'm your other host, Aaron Buckley. And I'm here to tell you that New York has a serious problem. A serious, serious problem. One, being born and bred in Chicago, I've came to the harsh reality that none of the equipment in New York has bells. This is morally wrong and morally bankrupt. In that same category as well, the M8s, M7s, anything in the M series. And even some of, uh, dare I say, the coach cars are wonderful shoreliners and comet cars. New Jersey is, uh, is very involved in these crimes too. Don't have rubber diaphragms to protect the passengers from rain or snow as you pass from car to car and you might just slip and die. But if you work for the MTA, you don't care anyway because you're screwing your girlfriend in the rail yard and getting overtime for it. <laughs> this is the Railroad Study Show. Would you like to, to introduce today's topic? Well, I said I don't know what today's topic is going to be, but we're going to find something. But I do know one tidbit I do want to start off with, and that's uh, dining car service on the Long Island Railroad. Now, me and Aaron have been doing a lot of research this week about the Long Island Railroad's parlor car service. And uh, we actually were blessed enough to find a menu for the Long Island. And it turns out that there's actually quite an interesting story here. In between years of 1961 and 1964, on the weekend chief, uh, the train that ran, uh, was it Fridays and Saturdays? Fridays and Mondays. So Friday was eastbound and then Monday was westbound. They had full... Or Sunday, not Monday, sorry. There might have been more trains, too. There were other naval trains. The weekender had a parlor car service too. We found out that for basically three years, the Long Island Railroad had dining car service. Well, not, well, parlor car service as they called it. But it was basically dining car service. Well, they had parlor um, cars for for longer, but uh, they they didn't do a meal service. They had special dining cars for the, the dining car service during that time that were separate from the parlor cars that they used for like the Cannonball and the <clears throat> chief and the Sunrise Express. You were saying that they had one dining car and that it was in Georgia and that it got scrapped. They, I have actually found out something a little bit more wild. They had multiple ones. Ah. They had two or three. Um, and then they had sleep, ex-sleeping cars too. As lounge really? cars. Yeah. I don't know if they rebuilt them or not, but I, I'm going to save that for another episode because I don't have all the information on that yet. But um, with the parlor car service, uh, it was a parlor car called uh, Tuscarora Club, which is actually a dining car. They, I, I guess Long Island Railroad just classified it as a, as a parlor car, which is why I got, uh, got confused. But the, the, the Tuscarora Club was an ex-Lehigh Valley car that was bought from the Lehigh Valley for service on the Long Island Railroad. And uh, they served uh, very interesting meals on this train. So for breakfast, we have here a menu. And it states orange juice, tomato juice, clamato juice, assorted Danish pastries, a cup of coffee, individual milk, and a cup of tea. I'm sorry, was that clamato juice you said? Clamato, clamato, potato, tomato. 
the, the stuff that's made from clams. Yeah. The stuff you get in Ron Ron Coma. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the stuff that makes a Caesar a Caesar and not a Bloody Mary. I don't know anything about this drink called the Caesar. The Caesar is the national drink of Canada. Uh, what? It, is it clam? Yeah, it's tomato juice, clamato, uh, and like celery and uh, parsley. Like it's like a Bloody Mary, but with clam juice in it. I don't. It's like a cold soup that's alcoholic that you drink. I'll have to give that a chance next time. Oh, if I ever see it. I have this vague goal of drinking every drink on the the National Drinks Wikipedia list. And the first drink on it is the Caesar. And this is kind of what holding me back from from getting into this list uh, to like actually doing these drinks because I'm really dreading drinking this awful concoction. I mean, if it's a national drink, it has to be pretty good. I don't know. They just have to take a leap of faith. Next time, I will drink it with you. And well, I've, I've identified a place to get it from. I well, found a Canadian bar in Williamsburg, so they they've ha- they have to have it there. What identifies as a Canadian bar? I don't know. I just looked up Canadian bars on Google Maps, and I found this place called Ontario Bar in Williamsburg. And someone said in the reviews. I didn't realize this was a Canuck bar before, but it is. So I have I have confirmation from the reviews that it is a Canadian bar. Well, you know what, too? I do have to say you have a direct train to Montreal. I think, you know, and Toronto. I think you know what you have to do when you can do it. Yeah, because they're, they're not running there. The leaf has been unmapled. <laughs> unmapled leaf. It's just the leaf. Well, I, I, I will continue on that note, speaking about we're getting into we're getting into the spirit of some of the foods here with the Caesar. We have a jumbo shrimp cocktail for appetizer on a dinner menu, chilled tomato juice cocktail, Montauk champ clouder. I, I say champ clouder. Oh, my God. So I want to know what makes a Montauk clam chowder a Montauk clam chowder. Is it like a Manhattan clam chowder or a Boston clam chowder? It might be somewhere in between. But that sounds gross. I've never had clam chowder. I wouldn't know. So, okay. So a Boston clam chowder is cream-based, you know, Mm -hmm. like the broth that's, you know, milky. But a Manhattan clam chowder has a tomato broth with corn in it. Really? Huh? Yeah. Maybe we'll just have to go to Montauk or see. Yeah. One one thing I do wonder is I wonder if the Railroad Museum of Long Island has these documents. Mm, That's a good question. Um, Soup of the day, whatever that would be. Chilled tomato juice. A relish tray, which is basically shark coochie. <laughs> no, it's just olives and pickles. But it's like on a tray. Yeah, it, it's it's charcuterie, Aaron. I thought that was I thought charcuterie was like cheese and ham and crackers but and like it's like how it's spread out. But charcuterie can have pickles, pickled oh. goods on it too. But that's just the pictures I've seen. I don't know how how they would have done it. 
uh, entrees, Montauk seafood casserole Mornay, filet of sole, shrimps, mushroom cake, baked in moray sauce, served piping hot, and individual casserole. Uh, I, I actually looked it up. The Mornay sauce? That's yeah. like, uh, it's a bechamel sauce. Ooh. It's kind of like a, 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 a French Alfredo. Huh. That doesn't sound too bad. Tuna fish salad plate, tuna salad on bed of lettuce garnished with a hard-boiled egg. Tomato wedges and sliced beets. Southern, okay, this was weird. Southern fried disjointed chicken. And <laughs> uh, we we had to look up what disjointed chicken means. Do you want do you want to to reveal it to them and kind of ruin it or just? I think you can explain it better. Okay, it's just chicken that is you separate the pieces like the wing and the breast and the thigh and stuff before you cook it. That, that's all it is. It, that's literally all it is. And I, <laughs> I, I don't want to be racist on the show because we love everyone here. But that's the whitest thing I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> is, 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 is the idea of, of seeing your chicken in pieces foreign to you because you're so used to getting a, a, a whole chicken served to you when you're chilling at your home in the Hamptons, <laughs> that this is some kind of specialty. <laughs> I will continue. <laughs> and lastly, we have the, the most normal thing I'd probably go for on this plate. Maybe the Montauk Seafood Castle, Mornay, wherever that would be. Wait, wait, let's just take a step back. Okay. To the disjointed chicken. It's southern fried disjointed chicken, right? How are you supposed to have a fried chicken that's just like a whole fucking chicken that's not disjointed? (laughs) That's even scarier of a thought. (laughs) Just put the entire chicken into the deep fryer. Car catches on fire. Is this the real reason why they stopped the dining car service? It actually did make a lot of money. But they just had a lot of fires. (laughs) Which ended up costing a lot of money. That's why it lost money. And then we have the last most normal thing, which I'd probably get. The charcoal broiled small sirloin steak. Now we had some interesting sides here. Tiny Belgian carrots, au buen. I don't know what au buen is. Au buen. Oh, well done. That's it. So just like they they cook the carrots until they're like really tender and soft. That's my guess. I'm not like coming up with anything here. All right. But uh, then we have Peas and pearl onions, Francois. Francois. Francais? I, I, I posted it on your text three times. I'm sorry. F R A N the C A I S E. Yeah, that's how you say French in French. Francais. These people in Long Island are so bougie with their proper grammar. How dare they? It's basically peas and pearl onions and butter. That's it. A little bit of an odd combo, but I'd eat it. Baked potato, lettuce, and tomato. 
That sounds good. Although I have to say, I don't think I've ever had a baked potato served with lettuce and tomato. That is quite um quite an oddity. But it was the sixties, and you know how white people are. <laughs> I'm not racist. I'm half white, by the way. So don't don't at me. <laughs> Assorted bread or rolls served with all entree orders. Salads. LL salad. No, LI salad bowl. Crisp, crispy mixed greens topped with julienne, julienne ham, and imported Swiss cheese. Hearts of lettuce and sliced tomatoes. Mixed green salad. Choice of mayonnaise, French, or Roquefort cheese dressing. Which one of those salads would you get? See, if I ate pork, I would get the, the LI salad bowl uh-huh. because it's, I'm on the LIRR. Uh, but I'm not, so knowing what? myself, I would probably just get the mixed green salad with like with French dressing. I'd probably go for the mixed green salad, actually, because I would think that the salad bowl would be too heavy. Mm. If you're having like a whole... Meal? That's true. If you're also having um, some fried disjointed chicken with that, yeah, or steak, or um, <laughs> oh god. Then we have here uh, some desserts. We have our fruit compote, and then these next three desserts are going to be really shocking for you: imported Roquefort cheese and crackers, Swiss Gruyere cheese and crackers, Cracker Barrel Sharp American cheddar cheese and crackers. So, three out of the four desserts are just cheese and crackers. So, in the spirit of the Long Island Railroad, I am eating cheese and crackers for dessert right now. Oh, it's just, you can't you can't make this stuff up. You you would think there would be a pie or cheesecake or something. No, I mean the fruit compote was probably pretty good. I've looked up pictures of it, and it's basically a crustless pie, pretty much a boneless pie. But uh, as for the other three, God help you. <laughs> and this was this was a popular a popular sin at the time. the The Santa Fe had uh, had something similar too at around the same time period as I'm sure other railroads did. So back then, the idea of dessert was that dessert didn't necessarily have to be sweet. It just had to end a meal with a strong flavor. Hence, so many of these cheeses. But three out of four is kind of excessive to me. But I appreciate what do I know? the fact that they're different prices. That is true, too. I, I didn't even look at that. Also find it funny that the two most expensive desserts are equal in price at 50 cents, the fruit compote and the imported Roquefort cheese and crackers. <laughs> oh. um, so it's been three, two days. It's been two days, three days. What, my laptop battery died and we just gave up. Well, I gave up. I was tired. <laughs> Thankfully, we're here again. And uh, let's get to the beverages. Um, the beverages, quite simple. Coffee, pot. Sanka, pot. Sanka is really interesting. It was like America's first dehydrated coffee. But was it uh, powdered? Um, and it was really popular back then. Um, you, can, you, you can still get it in like 
diners in New York. Yeah, so I say you could still get it these days, but it's not as popular as it used to yeah. be. Uh, tea in a pot, and then milk in a glass, and uh, that's the that's the dining car service for Long Island Railroad. It isn't like um, isn't like some of the other railroads at the time, like you know, the New York Central or you know the Santa Fe, but for a railroad like the Long Island Railroad, where the longest ride's three hours. This is pretty good, especially for 1964, 1965. If you look in, uh, look at the historical relevance of the era, the North Shore line just got done and uh, wrapped up operations in Chicago to Milwaukee. That had the famous uh, Electroliner, uh, which had a similar menu in itself for a one-hour ride. Uh, no, actually, hour thirty-minute ride to Milwaukee. So this is the North Shore and had a had a dining car they had regular dining car service and then the electroliner had a dining car too wow they had two they had two different services of dining car did the electroliner run on the l also mm-hmm. oh all the north Carolina trains ran on the l so there were there were dining cars on the the l's in chicago yeah yeah it was based oh my goodness why did we oh this country was, is disappointing sometimes. It is. It really is. Oh man, that was. Why is that not a thing anymore? And uh, that wraps up the Long Island Railroad menu. Um, this only lasted, like I said, for about three or four or so years. It was uh, 1961 to 1964 or five. And what seems like is that they had more menus than this, so this could very well change. But this is just the one I was able to find. Um, so I'm sure they change the menu up pretty often, maybe every year or so. But um, yeah, you know, if I, I, I want to say if I were, you know, a, uh, a businessman who wanted to relax, you know, I'd be very happy with this menu. And I would just like to put in your mind the mental image of being able to even enjoy a menu like this yeah. on the Long Island Railroad. You get on your train at Jamaica Station, you know, you see four or five cars and just maybe an RS3 or a, not a PA, FA. And, uh, you know, New York, you can still see the, the skyline behind you and you're gone and you're uh, what's usually a suburban railroad. You're now eating a uh, three-course meal on, which is pretty snazzy to me. Yeah. So, and this wasn't the end of... Uh, the end of uh, fancy things on Long Island Railroad too. Uh, they had uh, not dining cars, but parlor cars and bar cars all the way up to what year was it, Aaron? Was it like two thousand nine? No, you're you're mixing Long Island Railroad up with the Metro North now. Um, sorry, give me a second. I need to. I'm gonna look up when the. And railroad got rid of bar cars. Uh, well, they sort of still have a bar car of sorts on the Long Island Railroad, believe it or not. I doubt since COVID. But on the Cannonball, they take one of the, the platform bar carts, which they had until 2018, and they just put it in a C3 
you know, double-decker commuter car, and they they serve highballs, like the old days. You know, it's not like a purpose-built bar car. It's just like yeah, they just have a they just have like a little cart of alcohol on a otherwise normal uh, commuter train car. Um, Which is interesting because I found out that's the way how they used to do in Chicago. Mm. Um, is that they would take a cart on wheels and they put it in the vestibule of a bi-level gallery car and they block the doors so that that cart could go on any car. Mm. But uh, sadly, Metro said that fun wasn't allowed uh-huh. and uh, we, lost, we lost our drinking privileges in 2008. Wow. I'm trying to find the inf- information on when bar cars ended on the Long Island Railroad and I found this. Uh, I remember back around 1983 or so over on Metro North when Connecticut Department of Transportation announced a plan to convert the New Haven M2 bar cars to coaches in the interest of creating more seating. The commuter uprising over that matter damn near registered on the Richter scale and reached the (laughs) governor of Connecticut's desk, who personally quashed any such idea. I was a New Haven commuter at the time and can proudly claim to have been one of the rabble rousers that helped to get it quashed. <laughs> wow, this guy was a, a bar car attendant. Oh, wow. He said, back in the early 1970s, most of the regular special service attendants in bar car and bar cart service made $350 a night between sales and tips. Back in 1973 or 74, I made $60 one evening in tips alone, and I was the extra guy, and most of the riders were off on vacation. Hence, the regular guy took his vacation at the same time to not affect his tips. <laughs> uh, they made, I man, they made bank. Yeah. See, I really wish, I'm going to get up on my soapbox for a little bit. I really wish that like something cool would happen as far as you know food or cafe service on commuter trains or like more regional trains on something besides Amtrak Uh, I really hope it will but you know it's just now now just it's kind of like a boring time to be a rail fan kind of when you really think about it Amtrak still hasn't brought back their traditional dining they serve you this uh this meal that's uh heated in the microwave and you uh well, no, you didn't have the full experience. You, we, we had cafe food out of uh, Boston, yeah. Um, which I mean, the food isn't bad, but it's still. I, I, only I was had, impressed, uh, like you know, considering it came out of a microwave. I mean, to me, like if you had served that food to me on a plate and like not in like a plastic microwave container, and had told me that it was cooked in a microwave, I would have been surprised. <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean the, the beer kind of makes it taste better I do have to say that's, that's true someone says back in the days when railroads were full service and maintained dining car commissaries at terminals like Sunnyside and Harmon it was easy to man and maintain commuter bar car services However, with the coming of Amtrak, the commuter agencies lost that resource and the cost of offering that service skyrocketed. Perhaps if contracted out to a private firm, it might be workable, question mark. And then this is another story by a retired LIR conductor. 
Back in the early 90s or so, a conductor slipped while walking through the storm doors of an M1. He put his hand up to stop his fall, and the storm door closed on his hand, just about severing it just below the knuckle line. It was still attached, but not by much. The rest of the crew attended to him, and someone said, we need ice to put the hand in. You guessed it. We got the ice from the bar cart. Oh, my God. A supervisor took him by car to the hospital and he underwent microsurgery and has full use of his hand and still a conductor today. Another reason to bring back bar cars. They, they save they people. save people's hands. Where else are you gonna get ice on a train? Let's be honest. You can try water, but it's it's not gonna work out well. Yeah. No, no, sir. Oh man, I'm gonna have a fear of those storm doors now. I mean, I was on an M1 and those aren't around anymore. But they're still M3s. Yeah, but not many. And um, shoreliners. So if you want to email the show, if you know the answer to this question, me and her have been going back and forth about the comets and shoreliners. So on the early shoreliners, shoreliners 1 and 2, and the early comets, shoreliners 1, 2, and then even 3 before they were rebuilt. Actually, no, not for 3. 3 came with them. The rubber between the vestibules, the diaphragms, on some cars aren't there and on pictures i don't we don't see any chains hanging on the side so i know that you can go in between the cars do you just go in between a space of death where you have nothing to hold on to (laughs) (laughs) or is there a a gate that swings out or do, do the conductors just lock the doors if you know this answer please email the show i don't know if there's a show email but I'm sure one way or another, you'll find a way to contact us. Oh, my goodness. Okay. This is interesting. In the late 60s, I would occasionally on a Friday afternoon leave my office on the 38th floor in the Burroughs building on 3rd Avenue between 39th and 40th Streets, hop on the number seven at Grand Central and go two stops to Hunters Point Avenue where I could take the 514 to Great River to visit with friends in Islip Terrace. At the time, my bride worked in Glen Cove and she would drive out and we'd meet there. The director of my department was adamant about not leaving work early. On the Fridays I went to Great River, I would have all my work materials set on my desktop so that exactly five o'clock I could open my desk drawers and with one sweep put everything away. At about 5.01 an express elevator, the freight elevator, would stop at my floor, make one additional stop on 37 and then whisk us down to the lobby. Then it was out the door across the street, up third to 42nd across Lexington, down into the subway, jump on the first eastbound number seven. Wish through the tunnel, stop at Vernon Jackson before arriving at Hunters Point Avenue, up the stairs to the subway, down the stairs to the station, and just make the 514 as George the conductor was about to close the door. (laughs) Fortunately, there was a bar car on the 514, and by Jamaica, I'd consume a couple of cool ones and then relax for the nonstop ride to Babylon and then on to Great River. Without (laughs) knowing the bar car would be at the end of my race, I don't know whether I would have made it. Best regards, Rogers. P.S. I would often spend the weekend on the island and take the first train in the morning, which originated at Spionk. There would be George. He never smiled. He had the same attitude on Friday afternoon as he did on Monday morning. <laughs> He'd consume a couple of cool ones, he says, by Jamaica. That's not, that's not a very long time. No, that, that's like eight minutes. Well, after going through all that, I could understand. Yeah. Just order just order two when you go up. Just don't even bother with one. <laughs> I was just reading about the um 
the bar cars from the LIRR. So they took baggage cars and they converted them into, they called them bar generator cars. So it'd have an HEP generators on one side and it would be a bar on the other. Oh, I see. Yeah. That is worth though, because who's really bringing all that baggage from New York to Montauk? On a well, that's, I guess that's why they converted them into to bar cars negotiating the gap from a p54 to a baggage car was not all that easy since their buffer plates were different but you could pack more passengers into the baggage car (laughs) (laughs) the beer well consisted of a 55 gallon oil drum and lined with plastic and lined plastic brown bags this was used to chill the beer Two more oil drums served as the bar with a piece of formica-covered plywood placed over the drums to support what was essentially a bar cart-sized inventory. (laughs) I don't remember working one of these, but they were awful to look at. (gasps) I often worked as a parlor car attendant because it was the highest revenue per passenger with the shortest day. The shelter island in Mattituck drank a lot. Number 12 was a notorious poor drinking train. Too early in the afternoon, and most of the customers were a bit more stodgy than the rest. The best drinking train always was number 24. Three to four drinks per passenger average. (laughs) Train 664 did have a bar into the C3 era, but unsure if it still operates. By the way, the special service department always made a net profit. They were de-emphasized on the LIRR along with true parlor cars, so the carrier could concentrate on their core business. Yeah, all these pictures are from the 70s and early 80s so i'm gonna go off on a limb and say that's when they they got rid of them was in the 80s lincoln would know we should start having guest speakers so contrary to what lincoln tried to tell me bar cars were profitable on the lar because of fucking course they were (laughs) like why wouldn't they be but they they decided that it was like it was too complicated and not they wanted to focus on the, their core service. Ugh, what a shame. But I think it looks like so the bar carts lasted longer. And for a while, they would have those on the trains, like you were saying with in Chicago. And then they were just on the platforms. And now they're gone. Much to the dismay of everyone, you can't even get a drink from Rose's Pizza anymore. Yeah. Which for, uh, for the people not listening from New York, Rose's was a very based place in the basement. That's why it's based. <laughs> it was a very based place in the basement of Penn Station. And uh, it was a beer garden. Well, I guess you can call it a beer garden. And a pizza joint. I don't know if you can call it a beer garden. It is underground. <laughs> Not much of a garden. <laughs> I guess they claimed to be a pizzeria, but was mainly a bar, honestly. But you went there when we were drunk. And... You know, it didn't matter that the pizza wasn't good because you went there for the beer because they had something like 20 beer taps. It was beautiful. Uh, and now Penn Station is a dry station. Can't get alcohol anywhere in it anymore. Uh, is that true? Actually, I think I got, I want to say in the summer, I bought a Budweiser at one of the, at one of the, um, 
convenience stores. I don't remember. They love the price gouge in Penn Station too, except at Rose's Pizza. I'll, I'm going to miss that place so much. There needs to be a spiritual successor. Yeah. I bet the Shake Shack has beer. It's not the same. You know, before Rose's closed, there used to be Tracks Penn Station Bar. That's a real shame. You know, that was the last, they... like, real bar in Penn. Why you did know? they close? They closed in August of 2019 no yeah 2019 august 2019 which was just four months before my 21st birthday oh yeah i wonder if there's a list of what's got open in moynihan i don't know that that's not opening until uh fall i think is when they i think it's fall 2021 is when they plan on opening they need the they need to hurry up. There, are, there will definitely be bars there, but that, that, those are going to be expensive, probably. Yeah. You are right. Roses was a place of the proletariat. Yeah. Something I don't often associate with Long Island, Sands, Queens. Really? And it's, uh, and it's uh, friends. Where's it start getting bougie? You'd say east of Babylon? No, uh, much further east. It depends because there's there's different parts of Long Island that are bougie, like like in in terms of the South Shore. Uh, I mean, you basically you have like the Hamptons and Montauk. You know, that's very bougie. And you know, Bayshore, which is like just east of Babylon, is also pretty bougie, as is um, Bellport. But then you also have places like in between, like. Patchog and Mastic Shirley and Spionk, which are, are more working class. You know, actually, I don't really know about Spionk. Hassan says there's nothing there. Does uh, Micah Mike, listen to this show? Yes. <laughs> I want to uh, give a shout out to Micah. The Micah Foundation has funded the show since the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of Micah. He corrected us from our, our podcast. Lincoln was right about the, the Atlantic Avenue tunnel being 11 foot 10. But the east side axis, according to Micah, is 13 foot 6. So you can put a P32 in. How tall is a P32? I thought it was a, uh, 12 feet. Or like 12 feet and 6 inches. I thought it was like 14. It's fi- I get 15 feet 4 inches. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's definitely not fitting in there. Oh, no, this uh, is for Dash 8. Never mind. Disregard that. The road study shows providing inaccurate information. For that, we apologize. Please <laughs> please write any letters or refund offers to 1 Grand Central Street, New York City, New York. Oh, someone had a change.org petition to bring back the bar card, but it only got 38 supporters. Oh. oh, this is from four years ago. Oh, if I had known about this, I would have signed it. And I wasn't even legal then. <laughs> there was a hospital car on Bel Air? What? From 1898 to 1910. Oh, it was destroyed in a fire. That's sad. Yeah. It had an operating room with a dreaded table. A dreaded table? Ooh. I mean, I don't know if I'd want to have surgery done on a moving train. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sure if you have no choice. Yeah, 
at the opposite end of the car containing the cots of which there's room for nine, 24 cots in all, and they're constructed to be utilized as stretchers when necessary. It was designed that you could clean it with a hose once you took the, the bedding out without damaging the furniture. I mean, it's certainly interesting. I don't really understand why this ex- existed, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was a thing. But in other news, I will do railroad tidbits. Um, what's something random to talk about? Should we have like a news section at the end of the show? <laughs> railroad news. <laughs> uh, if there's any to talk about, <laughs> I guess. Well, um, Antrek is beginning to finalize their order for Siemens chargers. There are going to be five, actually six done in the special 50th anniversary scheme, hmm. which I'm assuming will be shown May 1st, which will be the 50th anniversary of Amtrak. In addition, I'm also hearing rumors that Amtrak is going to get new uniforms to coincide with the 50th anniversary. The uniforms will be gray and red. Although no pictures have been shown yet, I've, I've had these uh, rumors told to me by reputable sources. Gray and red? Yeah, I don't know what they're planning on doing. I, I partly really think it's going to be funky. They should go back to like the 70s. With like the the red interiors on the the Am fleets, I wish I wish that Metroliner service was still like true Metroliner service. Mm. I just love being bougie, <laughs> even though my wallet says no. <laughs> when I saw you in the summer, I had gotten Northwest Regional Business Class for the first time, and I was really disappointed because you get a leather seat like you would in regular coach, but you're just paying to be separate from the coach passengers. That's really it. Mm. You don't get in the Midwest. Our business class is different. You get a free coffee and you get a free newspaper and our seats are bigger. They're like, well, they're like, well, that's what it was like seat. on the, that's what's on like the empire on service, right? The empire service. Yeah. They don't give you a free drink at all on the corner. No? I read on the website that they have more leg room at least. Although that could be like one inch extra. I don't, I don't know if it's really. Well, Andrew already has good leg room as is. I, yeah, I that's the thing. Need. I guess that's not really something you would notice. God, I love the corridor. So I think for me, you know, I, I think I think it would be the opposite too if Aaron were to come here, vice versa, if Aaron were to come to Chicago. I love the corridor for just how different it is. I'm used to seeing single track or double track lines with no electrification whatsoever mm. and trains literally going only 60 miles an hour instead of 110 <laughs> it's 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 a very exciting experience i, I love too is just uh the pennsylvania railroad is just such a history rich railroad all the stations are intact and you really you really get a, a very deep sense of legacy when you're riding the northeast corridor that's why i appreciate about it the most I think it's really uh, it, it it's the best the best trains that you can get on the United States right now. You know, maybe Sands Brightline, which is another story entirely. Yeah, it's it's just a really awesome uh, awesome piece of history that you know we're still blessed to have today. I just really like the Acela. <laughs> the Acela is a very nice train. I'm I'm sad about them getting replaced, and like I know that the new trains are like you know, objectively better trains. They're like faster, more modern, lighter, whatever. And also the Acelos are, you know, it's their time. 
they're mm-hmm. they're not in the best shape. I I'm not I'm, I'm not I'm not opposed to the Avalia. Someone just really dropped the dropped the ball on the design though. I just hate how the coaches jut out. So I guess it is what it is. I'll learn to love them. My major beef with the Avalia though is that they don't have in the cafe. It's just standing only. It's just standing only. Huh. Really European. That's what I was going to say. How European. Oh, I'll never forget Anthony's line when we were talking about the um, how much we loved the Acela. And you said they were felt very European. And you said, yeah, well, the new Avilias are, are also very European. They look like an Italian loafer. <laughs> oh, they have two-tone horns, too, which just deeply bothers me having anything with a two-tone horn on this side of the atlantic is just wrong well on that note i think it's time to wrap it up i agree i'm going to stop recording now